The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Monday night and the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Special presentation of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Boy, we've got a lot of things to go over here this evening. The Reds and Indians had a very successful weekend, but in totally different ways. And, of course, we've got the Matt Harvey incident going on in New York, which is dominating the Major League Baseball headlines. But before we get to all that, let's go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, Dave, I think you, you misstated something here. I don't think the Harvey situation is the big news in Major League Baseball. I think it's the Cincinnati Reds and the fact that they're probably going to go undefeated the rest of the year, go to the playoffs, and beat the Indians in four straight. What do you think you are, a fan of the Cavaliers? <laughs> well, look, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, and I speak for all Reds fans and the and the suffering we have endured for the last several years in 14, 15, and 16, and to, to be in first place here in the after five weeks of the season, we have to take advantage of that because it may not happen again. So we're going to dream big that the Reds can uh, continue this surprising performance through the rest of the summer. And uh, who knows, as I mentioned last week, if they get their starting pitching back, Given this team's offense that we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, we, the Reds are a competitive ball club right now, and I, I, I don't I don't think anybody at this point of the season is looking forward to playing Cincinnati. Well, you know, we talked. About, I brought it up right at the top of the broadcast, Mark, and that is that the Indians and the Reds won in completely different methods this weekend. The Indians, of course, did it with their pitching. They won. Two out of three against Kansas City this weekend, but if you accumulated the scores, Mark, of the three games that the Indians won by, they outscored Kansas City five to four. Meanwhile, the Reds, on the other hand, outscored San Francisco over the weekend thirty-one to five in their three-game sweep. So it just goes to show you that not only when the Reds have their bats going, but you look at those five runs that the Reds gave up throughout the entire three-game set, Mark. They had outstanding pitching going on this weekend, too. Well, that's that's very true, and it, it, it may have been 31-5, to 5, but it really wasn't that close. Uh, the Reds completely outplayed the Giants in every way this series. And I'm not saying the Giants are, are going to be a competitive ball club this year, but they're a solid ball club. And, uh, of course, the Reds didn't have to face their, their top pitcher, Bumgardner, who's out with injury, but they did beat Cueto, and they got great pitching to do that. They're getting good bullpen support. Uh, they're healthy now, or getting healthier, but this offense, I'm telling you, it's nothing to be sneezed at, and it'll be a great series uh, in a couple of weeks when the Indians meet the Reds, because you have arguably uh, one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, that's going to be going up against one of the top hitting teams in baseball. That should be fun. Well, we'll talk more about that series coming up at the bottom of the hour. We've got an announcement to make coming up in just a couple of weeks here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, explain how the Reds can take Amir Garrett and send him to the minor leagues. There's a method to their madness. Explain what that madness is. Well, I, I think there's several methods to their madness. Uh, number one, they want to manage his pitch count this year, which is, of course, the argument that they're using as the most important reason. And there's some merit to that. You, you don't want to have happen to the Reds what happened to the Washington Nationals in Strasburg a few years ago, which arguably cost them a world championship. 
And so he only pitched 144 innings last year. And I think they want to keep him well below 200 this year, say in the 180, 185 range. And to do that, you need to give him a break uh, during the season so his arm doesn't get fatigued. And I've seen him pitch every game he's pitched this year. And he he has lost something off his fastball. He's got a good curveball, good slider. He's got a great changeup, which for a young guy is unusual. But his fastball was at 95, 96, the first couple of starts. It's down to 91, 92, which is not unusual at this time of year. A lot of pitchers, because of spring training and the early season games they play, they'll get a tired arm, it's called. And so him not missing, him missing a couple of starts is not going to be a bad thing from that perspective. But the overriding issue is that uh, he is, he's one of those guys that can be kept under Red's control if he is off the major league uh, roster by 17 games this year. And for a pitcher, that's no more than, say, three starts. So it's not the end of the world. And I I think I, I heard last night, very interesting comparison to this. When the Reds brought Mike Leak up, I think it was in 2009, he came out of the University of Arizona, and they brought him right to the to the major leagues without any time in the minor leagues. I think they sent him down for maybe a week. If they had kept him off the major league roster for 17 days that first year, they could have had two years more control of him. Uh, And he'd probably still be with the Reds because they could have had him. He wouldn't have gone to free agency and he wouldn't have been under uh, arbitration. So, yeah, this is something that's in the the contract with, with the players and the league. If the players don't like it, then change the contract, change that provision. But as long as it's in there, the Reds or any other team would be stupid not to take advantage of that and retain control over a guy or any pitcher for that matter that uh, can can help them down the road. And certainly uh, it would be remiss on their part not to do it. Well, Mark, normally at this time I go over the records and what the teams have done over the past week, but the, uh, your your comment has led me to a question. And as benign as this question may be, I think it's apropos to what is going on in Major League Baseball today, and it just drives me nuts. When did the human body become genetically unable to throw 300 innings anymore? When did the human body obviously in the womb, becomes such a frail entity that it couldn't start 35 to 40 baseball games over the span of seven or eight months. When did Major League Baseball become such a wussy league that we have to be able to handle pitchers with kit gloves anymore, and you don't have the the Bob Fellers you don't have the Nolan Ryans. You don't have the Tom Seavers. You don't have the Ferguson Jenkins. You don't have the Don Larsons. You don't have the guys any longer that can throw 300 innings like Steve Carlton did year after year after year, like Bob Gibson did every year. When did the pitching in Major League Baseball become wussified to the point where these pitchers are no longer able to throw more than 200 innings and 180 to 190 innings a year. What happened to the human body? Well, you could ask Sandy Koufax that. You could ask a bunch of other pitchers over the last That's 30 years. That's one pitcher over the span of 50 years in baseball, oh, you, Mark, Dave, you up, know, to the, up to the you, 1980s and 90s when they started doing this. You, you know Whoever better would, than for that. crying out loud, threw both ends of a doubleheader. Well, if, if you're going to ask me a question, give me a chance to answer it. <laughs> All right, Paul Ryan. All right. O- over the last 30 years, the, the, when you're paying a guy, even like a Steve Carlton, when you're paying him $150,000 a year as opposed to paying a pitcher $20 million a year, you have an investment. And today when pitchers are making the kind of money they're making, uh, you don't want to risk that you, for the sake of, of some macho uh, claim that they have to throw 300 pitches a year. Uh, that makes no sense at all from a business perspective. So you're protecting your investment. And people are smarter now. That, that's maybe the biggest reason. The human body is not designed to throw 300 innings 
of pitchers who are throwing 100 miles an hour. And that's the pitchers you're getting up to the major leagues now. It's guys who rely on, on, on the fastball. Uh, they don't learn to pitch. They don't learn to be like a Greg Maddox who could throw 300 innings a year because he never threw a pitch over 90 miles an hour. Uh, there, there is a reason physically why guys are getting hurt now more than they ever did. And look at Syndergaard. You know, Syndergaard made the intelligent statement that in, during spring training, he went out and gained 19 pounds over the year lifting weights because he wanted to be stronger. And his goal for 2017 was to throw every pitch he threw this year over 100 miles an hour. Now, number one, that takes you know, an intelligent quotient somewhere around 60 to make that proclamation. But number two, what happened to Noah Syndergaard? He screwed his arm up. Now, he'll probably come back, but are you sure? Do you want to risk that for a guy who says pitching is throwing as hard as you can on every pitch? That's And, and Chapman proved last night that's not what you ought to do. So th- there's there's a rationale behind the fact that pitchers should not, should not throw 300 pitches, number one, because of the strain it puts on our arm. But it's besides physical. It's also fiscal. It's money. And the, the, the pitcher is the most valued possession on a roster. And I'd rather have a pitcher throw 200 innings a year and be around for 30 or 35 starts, throw six or seven innings, and win me a World Series than go out there and prove he's a man by throwing 300. I'm not saying he has to prove himself as a man, but I'm going to put this up on a tee, and I'm going to let you go ahead and hit it right out of the park, Mark. But you just made the comment that we're smarter now, and then you brought up Noah Syndergaard and what he said. Are we really, truly smarter now? Well, Noah Syndergaard certainly isn't smarter now. But my point was, why didn't the organization... Rather than risk an asset like him, and I don't know what he's making now, but you, I think you'd have to agree, he's one of the bright young pitchers in baseball, and if he's not making millions of dollars a year now, he will, and he could be he could be another Bumgardner, uh, he could be another Johnny Cueto making fifteen, sixteen, eighteen million dollars a year, but this guy's career is now in jeopardy, that he may have a torn bicep muscle and a, a torn lat. And either one of those things is hard to come back from, let alone both of them. But this this mentality that these pitchers, and I tell you, when, when we have an opportunity to talk to a scout, I would love to have a scout come in and explain what they go through now in their analyses of a pitcher that they are looking to draft. And the, the this is perfect segue. I'm glad you brought this up. The Reds have a chance, apparently, to draft a guy who's considered the hardest thrower in the history of the amateur draft. His last name is Green, uh, and the Reds may take him number two because the Twins may go with with a hitter at number one. And if the Reds get this kid, they're saying that he can throw 102 miles an hour, and he's 17 years old. Now, that's great. I hope they get him. I hope he lasts, though, beyond... I hope he makes it to 20, because if all he's got is a fastball that goes 102, I don't care whose body it's attached to, that arm is going to is going to be injured unless he learns to pitch. And I'd love to hear a major league scout talk about how they analyze today. And I, I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody, but what analysis do they go through except a radar gun? And if you take the radar gun away from it, what do they look at from a pitcher's perspective that would predicate that, that would predict that that pitcher is going to be a pitcher as you and I know it, as a guy who can throw 250 innings and throw 87, 88, 90 miles an hour and get people out? Because I don't see it. Well, one of Clint Eastwood's final movies was when he was a baseball scout. And the main reason I liked the movie is because Amy Adams was in it, but we won't go there right now. But anyway, you know, one of the comments that he made is I know a lot of baseball scouts, they listened to the sound that the ball makes. Not only when it hits the glove, but coming into the batter. A lot of scouts, a lot of the old-time scouts, don't rely upon the radar gun. 
a lot of the new scouts do. And it just lends credence to your point, Mark, that, you know, these, these scouts sometimes, I wonder what they are looking for. You know, I brought up the two pitchers that pitched last in the Division Three state championship game a year ago here in the state of Ohio and how they consistently hit 86, 88 miles per hour, but they were striking out people, they weren't walking people, and they were inducing ground balls. These kids knew how to pitch. Kids, like you say, coming out of high school now that are throwing 99 to 100 miles an hour don't know how to pitch. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I got on YouTube the other day, and I was looking at the projected draft for 2017, the amateur draft in baseball. And they were, they were, they had a number of kids that they thought were, you know, high draft choices, but they also looked at next year, 2018. They have kids 16 and 17 years old now that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", weigh 230, and they're 15 and 16 years old. I mean, these kids have been lifting weights for, for seven or eight years. Uh, you know, they're taking vitamins and they're, and they, That's they, the lift, problem. they lift weights. And, and yep. yeah, they're they're strong as hell, and they can throw a ball through a brick wall, and that's what the scouts look at. But the kids don't know how to pitch, and that's that's my point. And I'd love to hear a professional, somebody who knows more than you and I do about it, and and let him tell us what they look at. I, I'd love to hear it. Who, over the last forty years, Mark, I'll even go fifty years. Who is the most illogical pitcher that was a winner that you have ever seen. And I'll bet you and I think the same person. Who's the guy that you would look at and his physical stature just would tell you, this guy can't get anybody out, but he did. Who do you who do you think of first over well, the, the last fifty years? The first one I think of is Greg Maddox. I, I don't know if that's what you're you're aiming at, but No. Uh, Greg okay. Maddox was in physical shape. I'm talking about a guy you look at, not his stuff physical stature and you uh, look at him and you say there ain't no way this guy can get anybody out uh the, the left-hander for the yankees what was his name um big fat guy <laughs> but he's C. C. Sabathia? no 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 he, no it wasn't him i'm talking i'm well you're close i'm talking about mickey lolich in detroit well yeah yeah you're right you, you you look at him and you would swear that he couldn't get anybody out but he was—he won three games in the '68 World Series, Mark. Three games. He was a consistent winner. I remember when he and Gaylord Perry went up against each other when Perry was with the Indians, and and they would go in some knockdown, dragout pitching duels whenever the Indians and the Tigers met. And Lolich normally came out on top, but Lolich was a pitcher, Mark. It didn't matter that he was close to 300 pounds, 280, 300 pounds. You know, Tom Seaver was not the greatest guy in shape. He had a little punch to him. Ferguson Jenkins was probably a guy that you would look at and say he might be the best in physical shape, maybe even Bob Gibson. But, man, Mark, you look at some of these pitchers that were – how about Mike How about Mike Marshall? Well, Mike Marshall was in great shape. He was a kinesiologist, and he, he, he worked out. He was one of the first guys to really get in shape as a, as a pitcher. Exactly. The guy, what I'm happened th- to his arm? Well, I, I don't know what happened to him at the end of his career. I know he got lit up near the end. But the guy that comes to mind for me that Reds fans are going to remember, you look at him and say, that guy's not an athlete, uh, is Tom Browning. And Tom right. Browning. You know, Tom Browning was a little left-hander. You look at him and say, well, God, that guy couldn't be that good an athlete. But he had a, a great career with the Reds and had not broken his arm when, you know, late in his career, he he would have been pitching a lot longer. But he, he was a guy who learned how to pitch. And that's, that's I think, our our collective point here, you and I agree on, is that the, the young pitchers coming up, and I look at the Reds roster here, and they've got – I was just counting it the other day. I think they got seven or eight guys on this roster who throw close to 100 miles an hour that are on the roster right now. And these guys come in, and they throw hard. But the hitters catch up with them. I, you know, I, I saw, you know, last week we had a little debate about Stevenson versus Arroyo. And ironically. And by the way, Arroyo won another game. He won another game and he went five innings. He went five innings doing it, <laughs> which was my point. But Stevenson came in the other day. Uh, it was against the Giants. Uh, I think it was Saturday night. 
and he had pitched terribly throughout the year. But the other day he came in and he threw three innings, did not give up a hit, walked his last guy he faced, no runs, no hits, one walk, and he pitched. He started off a lot of the hitters with breaking balls. He was throwing a changeup. Now, of course, he had a big lead, but his fastball, his fastball was much more effective when he wasn't using it, you know, three pitches out of four. And, and that's what I saw about him the other night. I, oh my God, he actually threw a first pitch curveball. And it, and then his fastball looks even faster. And he was throwing 97, 98. But I, I wanted to find out a breakdown on his pitches and I didn't see it. Uh, breaking balls to, I'll say off speed pitches to his fastball because he was throwing a cutter. He's throwing a curveball and he's throwing a changeup. And they were all for strikes. Only walked one guy. And that that's what you want out of a young pitcher. And, and maybe the light will go on for a guy like him. But the Reds have some big arms on that staff. And you just hope that they have a chance to learn how to pitch. Because if they do, uh, you know, they're going to have some uh, some pretty good opportunities to put together a, a good starting rotation when Bailey and Lee Sclafani come back. So it, 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 it's kind of exciting right now for the Reds. Uh, and they got some even younger pitchers in Double A right now that are that are very very solid guys. So uh, hopefully the Reds and Indians will be on an even plane here in the next couple of years. Okay, we're going to talk about the Indians here in a second, but I want to ask you this question: Just how long? This is a two prong question. Just how long do the Reds have to continue to play at this level, and the Cubs at their level? before the Reds start believing that they can win this thing and the Cubs start doubting that they can? Well, I think it's going to be a longer term for the Reds than the Cubs. Uh, when you win a world championship and you have the kind of roster they have, uh, that team is, is, believe me, they're going to believe in themselves no matter what um, the, the rest of this year or at least until to August or September. I think for the Reds, I, I think that they talk a good game now. Uh, you know, they said they're much better than they were last year, and they are. But this team is going to have to prove it to itself over the next two months. And when I say two months, I'm talking about getting into the all-star break. If they are on a, on a, on a proportional basis, if they're 10, 12 games over 500, and they, you know, and they can do that by the all-star break, I think this team will believe in itself. And I think they can, you know, they just lost two out of three of the Cubs a couple weeks ago, but they should have won two out of three. They gave up four runs in the ninth inning to lose that first game, or they would have won that series. So, you know, the Reds are better. <clears throat> you and I talked last week. I don't think the Cubs are as good as they were last year. Uh, and, and they're starting pitching is the reason, the reason. But the Reds have closed the gap. Is it going to be enough this year? I doubt it. But uh, they're better, and I don't think the Cubs are as good. Well, the Reds are 17 and 14 heading into tonight's game with the first place New York Yankees, who are 20 and nine. And Mark, they're coming off of an 18 inning marathon against the Cubs last night, a game in which Araldis Chapman blew a three run lead in the ninth inning against his former teammates. But nonetheless, the Yankees have got to be tired heading into this game tonight. I hope so. <laughs> and I have to confess, I did something really stupid last night. Uh, I stayed up to the 16th inning of that game, and because uh, I wanted the Cubs to lose that game, obviously, but I also wanted it to go a long time, because I bet you the Yankees did not get into Cincinnati this morning until probably 5 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's the best-case scenario. So, uh, yeah, the, the, and they're, they're probably not going to see Chapman these next two games. He threw almost 40 pitches last night. So, you know, the Reds are in pretty good shape. And, you know, the old saying is it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And I hopefully the, the Yankees are a little fatigued after last night. And uh, the Reds have a chance to at least split this two-game series. Well, it's a short plane ride from Chicago to Cincinnati nonetheless. But anyway, the Indians are 17-13 and 13 heading into tonight's action against the Toronto Blue Jays. And, Mark, the Blue Jays have really been a disappointment this year. They're 11-20. and 20. Edwin Encarnacion 
is making his first appearance in the Rogers Center since he left the Toronto Blue Jays. So it should be very interesting to see what kind of a, I guess, applause he gets with Toronto tonight. But Trevor Bauer going for the Indians. Mike Clevenger came up yesterday, Mark. Now, a couple of things about this Clevenger start against Kansas City yesterday. First of all, he took the place of Corey Kluber, who's on the 10-day DL. You and I talked a little bit about this this morning. I don't think this is anything that Indian fans have to be concerned about as far as Kluber is concerned. You know, any pitcher worth his salt is going to have some sort of a back injury throughout their years in pitching. And I think this is just Kluber's time where he just had a little lower back discomfort in the Indians as are every major league team, they're apropos to do. They are going to go ahead and throw caution to the wind and put him on the DL. And that's what the Indians did. They put him on the 10-day DL. And the Indians are blessed, Mark, that they could bring up a Mike Clevenger, who threw five and two-thirds innings yesterday and picked up the victory coming back out of Columbus. Now, I guess the question is now for Indian fans is, Does that put a lot more pressure on Trevor Bauer and Josh Tomlin that they have got to perform because you've got Mike Clevenger down in the minor leagues who's ready to come up and win at the major league level, it appears, and so is Ryan Merritt. And Ryan Merritt's the one that threw the gem against Toronto a year ago that really paced the Indians to the American League pennant in the championship series against Toronto last year. So when you look at those two pitchers, you look at Tomlin and Bauer, I would think Tomlin and Bauer, Mark, have to really be pitching for their starting lives as members of the Cleveland Indians when they look down in the minors and see Merritt and Clevenger down there ready to come up and take their place. Well, that you know, you're speaking to the wealth and the depth of the Indians organization uh, that they've got a guy like Clevenger they can bring up with a with a certain amount of certainty that. Uh, uh, he's going to give him a good performance, which he did. And, you know, that that's why I like the Indians, and, and we both picked them to win the pennant and, and win the American League pennant uh, and get into the World Series this year. It's that it, you need more than a five-man rotation. You need a seven- or eight-man rotation that that is part and parcel of your, your 40-man roster that you can call on during the year because, <coughs> pardon me, that it's very, very unusual that, that any staff – goes through their starting rotation, and nobody misses a start or two or three or four. Uh, in most cases, you know, teams find they lose a starter for an extended period of time, and uh, the Indians have the, have the ability to pull up a guy like Clevenger and, and really not miss a beat with, with their, their starting rotation, and that's, that's a tribute to the organization. You know, Kansas City really has to feel snake bit because all year long their pitching has gone awry. And they come in against Cleveland, and they pitch the three best games of the year that they've had so far, Mark. And they end up winning the first game 3-1, to losing the second game 3-1, to and then losing yesterday to Clevenger, whom we said was brought up from Columbus and made it into the ballpark on time. And they end up losing that ball game 1-0. So they finally get some well-pitched games, and they still can't win. They lose two out of three. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and then I, because I remember thinking about it when we were talking about Incarnacion. I think anybody who knew the Kansas City Royals could look at that roster and look what they did last year, and what did they need? They needed a power hitter. And I wonder why, maybe just economics, that they passed on Incarnacion, but he would have made a heck of an impact on that lineup and made everybody in that lineup better. And the Kansas City Royals, the, the league has pretty much figured them out. I mean, you know, two years ago they were the darlings of baseball, uh, but the, the, the league's figured them out offensively. They're, they're good defensively. They're, they had good pitching. They've got speed, but they don't hit. And I, I wonder why a front office can't see what everybody else sees and, and makes a deal to bring in a bat like Encarnacion. You know what's fun is, Mark, we don't get many weeks where both the Indians and the Reds are in first place during this show. During the last seven years, I, I don't think there's been, maybe, but I'm going to take a, a guess where both teams have been first place, less than 10. What would your guess be? 
Yeah, I, I, it's a good point. Because you know, they've both been in first place at the same time. Yeah, the Reds, of course, were winning big in 10, 12, and 13, uh, and then went uh, on their hiatus from first place. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, that's uh, it is unusual. That's why, uh, tongue-in-cheek, I, I was waxing poetic about where the Reds are right now because there's a much better chance that the Indians are going to be in first place a month from now than the Reds. <laughs> but uh, when you're in first place, it's something to be proud of, and I think everybody in baseball is surprised by the Reds. I know you and I are because we picked them to finish near the bottom of the division. So it, it's good news for Reds fans, and we, we better take advantage of it. But, uh, you know, the Reds have the Yankees for two games this week, and then they go back to San Francisco for four, and they, they proved they could beat San Francisco. So you take it one week at a time and hope for the best. Well, the Indians are on top of the American League Central by a game and a half over Minnesota. They're 17 and 13, Minnesota 15 and 14, a game and a half. Everybody in the Central Division is on a losing streak. Minnesota, Detroit, and Kansas City have each lost two in a row. The White Sox have lost three in a row. But the Indians are the only team in the Central Division that is on a winning streak. They've won two straight in the Central, and that's given them that game and a half lead. Now, in the National League Central, the Reds have won seven of their last ten. They've won five in a row. They're 17 and 14, and they're a half a game on top of St. Louis. And Mark, you and I would both agree, St. Louis is not the team that they're, that they have been in the past. They don't seem to have played very good baseball this year. But here they are, after 30 games, they're 16 and 14, just a half a game out of first place. Yeah, it's interesting. The Reds are 7 out of 10, but they're also 7 out of 8. And they got hot at the right time uh, when, when the Cubs were losing three in a row to uh, the Yankees. So they, they picked up three games real quickly. But, but again, you have, to be, you have to keep your head on your shoulders here because the Reds starting pitching does not look good going over the next month until they get Bailey and DeSclafani back. Uh, and, and Brandon Fennigan back, they got 60% of their starting rotation not in the starting rotation. So they're going to rely on Bronson Arroyo and, and Adelman and Feldman uh, to, to get them over the hump. And, and that's not something that gives me a lot of hope for that rotation. So here's a question for you. The Reds are still in rebuild mode. If the Reds are, say they're a game in first place, first place at the all-star break do they go out and try and get a starting pitcher to get them into the playoffs boy that's an intriguing question um and again it comes right back to the same pitcher that you and i have talked about over the last couple of weeks can they go out and get a johnny cueto can they do it can they get somebody like that that would maybe turn the tide i don't know it all depends upon what Dick Williams is going to think if this team actually has a chance to win the division. Now, that also puts him in a very desperate situation, Mark, because remember a few years ago when the Indians were close, just right there at the All-Star break, and they did nothing at the All-Star break, and the team plummeted towards the end and didn't make the playoffs because the players started to get the feeling that the front office didn't believe that they had a chance to win. So why should they go out and mortgage the future if the team didn't have a chance to win? Boy, if you got a bunch of guys that are cohesive in that clubhouse like the Reds appear to have, this appears to be a very close team, just like the Indians are. And if that's the case, and this front office doesn't go out and make a move to help them win this year, that could really turn out to be a bad omen instead of a good one. Yeah, the risk the front office runs is they go out and they get, let's use Cueto as an example. You go get Johnny Cueto as a rental player, and you give up a young player, and you're supposed to be in build mode right now. And the Reds now have accumulated a lot of talent at AAA, AA, and single A. And they get the number two draft pick this year in the June draft. So they've got some talent that they could deal with. And, you know, it, it's easy to second-guess a general manager in an organization. But if the Reds are close, if they're in striking distance, and a lot of it depends on the wild card, if they're in a division 
that is dominating baseball, and it's likely that two two teams could come from, or maybe three teams could come from the Central Division of the National League. Then you know you you've got to roll dice, and you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you don't I make agree. A, if you don't make a move and you, you you miss out by one game, people are going to scream and yell like, "Why didn't you go for it?" If you make the move and you give up a young stud. Uh, who ends up in three years to be an all-star? They're saying they're going to look back and say, "What were you, an idiot? Why would you trade him for a for a rental player?" So you have to give some slack to these organizations because they are put in a tough spot. But I don't think anybody predicted going into this year, and it may not occur. You know, we're we're supposing some things here, but I don't think anybody expected the Reds to be in a position to compete this year. But a month from today. You know, you're going in you know, mid June, and you're and you're still in first place. You know, you you got to start looking around, and saying, "Hey, we might have a chance here." Mark, before we get to our big announcement, I guess the the the, the whole crux of the matter is when you look at this this Reds and Indians thing, and especially if the Reds are going to make a move. I don't think Johnny Cueto would be a Reda player. I think you know, I think his his roots are still in Cincinnati. And if the Reds went out and got him at the trade deadline, they may have a pretty good shot at keeping him. That's possible. Uh, there, there may, if you're going to spend that kind of money, and he's going to want you know twenty million a year, um, you know there may be other guys that you could go out, maybe get two ten million dollar players that that could could augment your rotation. Uh, so, but once they make the decision to spend some money, I think it opens up a whole litany of opportunities for the Reds, but the question will be, who do you want to give up uh, to to get those players or, or that one player that can put you over the top? Because I think the only thing this team needs right now is starting pitching. Their bullpen solid. Their offense is, is very solid. They lead the league. They're number two in offense, Dave, and they're number one in defense, and their bullpen is number three. Now, that's that's a pretty solid ball club. So what they're looking at is starting pitching. And when you look around at the, the teams that are no longer competitive by June or July, uh, they're going to have a lot to pick from. So it'll be pretty interesting to see what they do. And I still think Homer Bailey is a reliever. When he comes back, I think he's a relief pitcher. You may be right. Well, it's time now to talk about our announcement, Mark. This is pretty exciting. We've got a lot of things that are exciting right now happening at Ultimate Sports Talk, and this is just one of them. We have not solidified this as of yet, but it looks good enough to where I feel comfortable talking about it. On May 22nd, when the Indians come to town to play the Cincinnati Reds, Mark and I are going to have a two-hour special. We will be coming on the air with a special 7 o'clock time. We'll go from 7 to 9 on that Monday night, May 22nd, and we will be broadcasting live from the Montgomery Inn in the Boathouse out in center field in Cincinnati. Mark, we've often looked at that place as being a great opportunity to do a broadcast fund. We're finally going to get to do it. Yeah, I, that's, it's, it's, I'm excited about it. Number one, I get to see a game. And number two, we, we have some interesting people we're going to interview during that, that telecast that we'll announce as we get closer to the date. So, the, you know, the, the riverboat out there for you fans who have been to the ballpark, uh, you know, frankly, I did not know it was associated with the, with the, um, Montgomery end. I thought it was just independently owned boathouse, but, uh, that's, that's exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I've been there. I've, I've actually gone to a couple games there and sat out there. And it's a great place to watch a game and a, a good place to talk about a game. And, and we're looking forward to doing that. The only thing that it's almost impossible not to do at the boathouse is catch a fly ball. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. <laughs> funny you say I knew that. you'd have a story. I, I got a story. Uh, the last time I was there... Uh, at that, I was in the ballpark much more recently, but uh, at one game, we had a, a company party out there, and I was sitting in center field with a friend of mine named Mike Wolf, and Adam Dunn hit one on top of the boat. And it, it's kind of incomprehensible 
for a human being to hit a baseball that far. But the ball had to go 500 feet. And the funny thing was, it was going up as it hit the boat. <coughs> so I don't know how far that thing would have been, but I don't think anybody in Kentucky would have been safe. Uh, it, it may have gone over the river. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great place to watch a game. And for you fans who have not been down to the ballpark and had an opportunity to go to the boathouse, it's worth it. It's, it, it's a cool place to see a game, and, and we highly recommend it. And please stop in there, have the ribs, because the ribs are outstanding, and say hello to us, because you really wouldn't believe what Mark and I look like. <laughs> <laughs> believe it, I'm the better-looking one. Anyway, well, there's let's, a reason. let's move along. Well, wait, wait a minute. There's a reason we're on radio, not television. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's true. There's no call for a short, fat, ugly sportscaster on TV. <laughs> and that would be you, Mark. <laughs> so let's, let's move along. Anyway, Matt Harvey. This guy needs to go see a psychiatrist immediately. And I don't know if a lot of people have heard about this story, but he he swears up and down that he had a migraine on Saturday, the day before he was scheduled to pitch for the New York Mets. He completely blew off coming to the stadium on Saturday, saying he made repeated efforts to try to get a hold of somebody at City Field to let them know that he wasn't going to be into the ball game on Saturday. He just didn't show up for whatever reason. He says it's a migraine. Mets aren't sure what's happening here. They don't know if... Maybe he went out on Friday night and pulled an all-night bender and just is suffering through a hangover. And I have heard that those are some of the rumors that the Mets are thinking may have happened. But Harvey swears up and down that he had a migraine. So he just doesn't show up on Saturday. On Sunday, Sandy Alderson of the Mets decides that he's had enough. He's going to suspend this guy for three days. Now, frankly, I don't think three days is enough, but I think that's all the contract allows between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. Now, Harvey has gone ahead and filed a grievance, but he's going to go and serve the suspension, obviously because he wants to be paid for those three days. Uh, when you're suspended, you don't get paid. But Matt Harvey marked two surgeries, two arm surgeries. Quite honestly, I thought he was a pitcher with a lot of potential, but really was mediocre during the last four years of his existence with the Mets. He never really met his capabilities, except for one game, and that was in the World Series, what, three or four years ago that he pitched an outstanding game, didn't want to come out in the seventh game against Kansas City, and ended up losing it in the ninth inning, and Kansas City went on to win the, the World Series. But Matt Harvey is really the type of guy that, do you want to have this guy on your baseball team? Well, you know, we, we talk, I hate to keep bringing this up, but you wonder what kind of advice this guy is getting. And, and bad. <laughs> bad. Bad, but you have to be smart enough at some point to look around at what's happening in your career and rather than worry about getting paid for three days when you're making millions of dollars a year, the first thing you should do is go to your teammates and apologize. They say, look, I tried. Here's what I did. My bad. It'll never happen again. Uh, you know, I apologize for what I did. Let's move on. But no, he makes a, a big case of it when there's no case to be made on his behalf. And whether either his agent isn't powerful enough with him or the guy is just a knucklehead, I, I, I tend to think it's probably the latter that you can't see what you're doing and how it looks. Get it behind you, apologize, and shut the hell up, and and, and go back to pitching. And, you know, that, that was a case, that game you mentioned against Kansas City a few years ago, where he fought, I mean, he not only fought, he screamed and yelled to stay in that game against Kansas City, and what happens, he loses the game, and they don't go to the World Series. Now, that's that's a case where the manager probably should have said, shut up and sit down. But uh, he didn't, and, uh, you know, there's where your macho pitcher is. Hey, hey, coach, put me in. I can do it. Well, look at this Mets pitching staff. Three <clears> years <throat> ago, they had Harvey, Syndergaard, and Wheeler, along with Bartolo Colon. They've literally got none of the four right now. 
Yeah, that, very interesting. And which one is pitching best? Cologne. Cologne. Still, at 43 years old. Yeah. And why? Because he's a pitcher. He's a pitcher. He, he can throw an 88-mile-an-hour fastball, but it moves so much that he can tell you he's going to throw it and you can't hit it. That, that that's, makes our point from earlier in the show. That guy knows how to pitch. And Syndergaard, another knucklehead, uh, you know, may have put his career in, well, he, he has put his career in jeopardy. He, he's probably going to recover, but not without some, he's probably going to be done for the year, or at least the major part of the year. Right. Matt, Har- Matt Harvey and Syndergaard, and who was the left-hander that was so so good for them a few years ago? He got hurt, too. Yeah, he got hurt. I mean, they, you know, three years ago, I remember you and I had a debate. I made the comment that I thought the Indians pitching staff, starting staff, was better than the Mets. And I remember you thought I was nuts, but you did make the comment that the only thing would prove that I was right was injuries. Well, the whole thing has happened. The Mets pitching staff has basically fallen apart. That's right, and it, it's the same thing. All those guys were the same, and and the Reds had a chance to, to trade for Wheeler a couple of years ago. The Mets wanted Jay Bruce, and, and they could have gotten Wheeler, but he was a long-term rehab situation, and now he's coming back this year. I don't know how well he's pitched, but you know, he th- these guys that go out, they throw their arms out, and their careers are over before they begin. And that's one thing I like about Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett can throw 95-96, but the thing I really like about him, and if you haven't seen him pitch, Dave, uh, he's got a really good changeup. Oh, he's got and a great motion. Great motion, great changeup, and he's he's really tough to hit if you're a right-hander because he throws that changeup, it breaks away from you, and you're lunging at that thing. <coughs> But he can still overpower you with the 95-mile-an-hour fastball. So I hope he's the kind of guy that is a pitcher and not a thrower and is going to be around for a while because he's a smart guy. Uh, he, I think he went to, what, St. John's to play basketball there. He got a degree. So, uh, you know, those are the kinds of guys you want in your rotation because they can be around for a long time. Mark, you know, Amir Garrett reminds me of Danny Salazar. He's learning how to pitch. Only Amir Garrett, I think, is learning at a younger age than Danny Salazar did. But like you said, Garrett and Salazar, they can get you with the 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball, but they can also put it where they want, and they're both pitchers. Well, the thing I like about Garrett, too, he's got control. He's got a 1.19 whip. And he hasn't, he got lit up one game against Pittsburgh, and the reason he did, he kept throwing the fastball. He got behind, his control wasn't there, so he tried to throw the fastball all night, and they, then they caught up with him. But you, you take that game out of the equation, and he's got something like a, uh, a, I think a 2.13 ERA without that game in there. You know, one game early in the year where you get hammered can really affect your, your ERA. But I look at the secondary numbers. He's not walking a lot of guys. Uh, he's got a low whip. Uh, and, and he's a pitcher. And I hope he's pitching when they're down there. It'd be kind of fun to watch. Araldus Chapman blew the three-run lead last night. Had a tough World Series. He did have one save in the World Series, but he also had two other tough outings that a lot of people are blaming Joe Madden for because he left him in in situations that were non-save situations in the World Series. Mark, there's something about Chapman that just rubs me the wrong way. I asked you this question this morning. I'm going to listen to your answer. Is he a not-ready-for-prime-time reliever? Look, it's it's all about percentages. And if I go into a ninth inning of a game and i got a one-run lead, I'm going to run Chapman out there every time. Because he got a chance to strike out the side. If he's on, he's virtually unhittable. And what happened last night, I think it had a lot to do with being cold. Uh, he did not look sharp when he, when he came in. He, he couldn't control the fastball. And it was, you know, it was 38 degrees there last night. So, you know, that, that, I'm going to give him that kind of slack. I, I know what you're saying. And there were games when he was with the Reds where he would, he would give up. You know, it didn't happen often. They said last night was the first save he's blown in the regular season for, I don't know, two, two and a half years. 
So that's <laughs> he's still my guy. If I have to to build a rotation or a bullpen, I could go from the back and move forward. So yeah, I'd like to have him on my team. Is he hittable? Yeah, like anybody else. If if all he's got that night is his fastball, then he's in trouble. And that's what happened. Did you see the game last night? Yes, some of it. Well, in, the, in that ninth inning, he kept firing that fastball in there because he couldn't locate his slider. And and the Cubs are good enough players. They they put the bat on the ball, and they got four or five hits, I think, in that inning, or three or four hits in that inning. Uh, and he hit a guy. I thought he broke uh, Rizzo's arm. <laughs> My God. I thought he took a 100-mile-an-hour fastball on the forearm. I thought he broke his arm. So answer to your question, I'm still a Chapman fan. And he may be overpaid. He's making what, 15 million this year. Uh, so the, the, the guy for the Cubs, and his name, his name escapes me now. He pitched last night. He was with the Kansas City Royals and they got him. He's a much better, uh, bet for me to come in the ninth inning, but I, I certainly wouldn't turn Chapman down. Well, the Yankees have won five in a row. They are 20 and nine and are leading the American League East by a half a game over Baltimore. They have got to be the surprise team of the American League. Now, a lot of people would say the Yankees, the surprise team. Well, the only reason that is is because everybody predicted the Yankees to finish anywhere from third to fourth in that division. Now, out in the National League West, Mark, you've got Colorado at 20-12. and 12. They are two and a half games over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Eliminating the Reds from this conversation, who's the most impressive surprise right now, the Yankees or the Colorado Rockies? Oh, I think Colorado by a long shot. Uh, I don't think anybody expected Colorado. I mean, the Yankees have good young players. They haven't blossomed yet, but they're, they're getting much better pitching than anybody. who that, The Yankee bullpen is, is really good. So, I, you know, you expect them to be good. I didn't expect Colorado to be good, and they may not be good by the end of the year. But right now, they're playing in a division where the, the three-time World Series championships from the last six years, the San Francisco Giants are, what, nine games out of first place? I mean, that's they're, they're way off the pace. And I saw the Giants play three games, and they may come in and just smash the Reds this week in San Francisco, but that lineup does not scare me. They don't, they don't have a potent lineup that's going to overcome some mediocre pitching, which is what they're getting right now. Who's the most, who's the biggest disappointment right now to you? No, it has to be the Giants. Uh, I, I don't know what team, you know, would be more disappointing than, than they are. Uh, you know, the Dodgers every year, when they're not in first place, I think they're a disappointment with the payroll they have and the team they have. They just don't seem to put together a team that can dominate. I mean, they got to the playoffs last year. They were close to beating the Cubs. I understand that. But it, to me, that team, with the payroll they have and the players they have, you know, they, they should be winning 100, 105 games a year, and they're not. So they're kind of a perennial disappointment to me. But in, in terms of the, of the National League, uh, I think the Giants clearly are the biggest disappointment. But, you know, I look at the American League, and look at the American League West. Didn't everybody suspect that Detroit was going to be good again this year? The White Sox were going to be a lot better this year? Uh, You're talking about the Central? Yeah, the Central. Uh, I, I don't see, you see them more than I do, but I don't see that the, the Detroit Tigers got any better this year, and maybe not as good. No, I agree with you, but I think the, the two teams that really – are disappointing me so far in the American League. It's very simple. It's Texas. Texas is 13 and 19. They're eight games behind Houston right now in the American League West. They were a team that everybody expected to make the playoffs and some even thought might make the World Series. And over in the National League, you know, the team that I think is, even though I thought that they would fall upon hard times this year in our previous show earlier in the year, Pittsburgh. 14 and 17. They're three games out behind the Reds in the National League Central. But still, Pittsburgh's not playing anywhere near what they've played, not only in the last couple of years, but the potential that they've shown that they can play at. 
Yeah, but they've lost a lot of guys to injury and, and suspensions and, and all that. Uh, that's a team that's better than their, their record if, if they had everybody healthy and playing. Uh, but you know, the team that, that I do like, and I, and I think that this team could win 105 games this year is Washington. I mean, they, they what an offense they've got. I mean, they, they are just, uh, a very, very potent offense. And with that pitching staff, again, you look at their team, Dave, and they're, they're an odds on favorite. They should win the World Series. I can't think of a team other than Cleveland, and I, I think they're much better than Chicago. Uh, but, you know, I, I put Cleveland with them. That would be a great World Series. Those two pitching staffs, uh, that, that would be exciting. But I, I think they right now are the best team in baseball. I, you know, I, I still go back to what I've hearkened on over the last couple of seasons. This unbalanced schedule that Major League Baseball has, where you rotate from division to division every year, and the National League Central plays the AL Central, plays the AL East, plays the AL West. You know, a lot of factors come into play when you're playing a weak division year after year. And this year, the National League East is playing the American League Central. Now, you've got three or four teams in that American League Central, Mark, that are patsies. And I think that can really, like you said, help a team like the Washington Nationals. But then you've got the National League West that's got to go play the American League East, and you've got four teams in that American League East, maybe five if Toronto starts getting their act together, that can really prove to be formidable against that National League West. They've got to do something about this, Mark. They've got to get away from this interleague play, either that or start solidifying who they're going to play year after year. Well, I, I think that the, the thing they should do is break up the divisions and break up the leagues. And have geographically based, maybe, maybe, uh, what they got, 30 teams, you know, have three 10 team divisions and pick the top two or three teams from each uh, division to play in the playoffs. I mean, you could have the Indians, the Reds, the Pirates, uh, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the White Sox, all in a central division within the Midwest. Kansas City, you know, go, go on and on. Uh, and, and that to me is the most sense. It, re- it greatly reduces travel. And it makes the, the playoffs much more exciting because if you don't play a team in the other league all year, it, it makes it kind of neat because you don't know what you're going up against. You haven't played them all year. So See, I, I like I, that idea if they just do it with the leagues. Eliminate the divisions, but go American League, National League, forget interleague play, and let's just play. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be okay with that. But what you don't want to do is have a team that, you know, by June is 20 games out of first place and no chance of the playoffs. The one good thing about the division setup is, you know, a team, not a, maybe not a great team, but a team can go into September and still have a fighting chance, which means people are going to show up and buy tickets and come to the game. Now, yeah, but are you they, still have a fighting chance with everybody in the league because the top five are still going to make it. Well, if, you know, we don't know what the number would be. If, if it's a top five and you have, what, uh, ten t- or 15 teams in each league, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, well, Just I mean, like that's, it is now. yeah, well, it's not that that way now. You have you have three divisions for each. Yeah, just league. eliminate the divisions, put everybody in the yeah. league all together. Yeah, yeah. I, I I could buy into that. Uh, it's just a matter again. You'd have ten teams that wouldn't make it, and of those ten teams, how many would be out by the All Star break? You you don't know. Well, you know, well, the Indians so far this week, they like we said, they are in Toronto. This week, taking on the Blue Jays, Edwin Encarnacion's homecoming to the Blue Jay fans out in Rogers Center. And then this weekend, after Thursday off, they will be at home against Minnesota and then host Tampa Bay next week. Don't forget, coming up on May 22nd, Mark and I will be at the Boathouse, the Montgomery Inn at Great American Ballpark, bringing you the show from 7 to 9. What do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? Well, we got two big games against the New York Yankees tonight and tomorrow night. Hopefully the Yankees are tired. Uh, then after an off day, they go out to San Francisco for a rematch with the Giants. And it's funny, in May, they will be done with the Giants all year. But the Reds have had pretty pretty good luck against the Giants. So hopefully the Reds are going to catch them when they're down. Sorry to see you go, right? <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll talk to you again next week, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. 
That's going to do it for our show this evening. Don't forget, coming up, we'll be back again next Monday night to bring you another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And as I said, on May 22nd, a special show, special time, 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock. Mark and I will bring you the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along tonight. That's going to do it for our show. Go Indians. Go Reds. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, join us again then. Good night, everybody.